coming to you live from the Business Radio X studio in Woodstock, Georgia. This is Fearless Formula with Sharon Klein. And welcome to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X, where we talk about the ups and downs of the business world and offer words of wisdom for business success. Today, I have a very, very smart person in my studio, and I cannot wait to learn from her. She is the Senior Director of... Wait, say it again. How did we say it? Product. Product. Okay, because there's a different title, but you're yes. Senior Director of Product, so I want to make sure yes. I said it correctly. At Codility. Yes. And um, welcome to the show, Dr. Taylor Sullivan. You're Thank welcome. you. I'm super excited to, to chat with you. Me too. I'm sorry, I kind of butchered your title. No, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I butcher it. <laughs> I don't really know well, what I do. it's a new title for you, which is cool. Like, yeah. you had a different title, and now this is a new one. Actually, it's even next week, it's brand new. So congratulations Thanks. on your new title. Thank you very much. You're welcome. One of the cool things about Taylor is that she is very, very well-versed in AI, and that's why I wanted her on the show, partly because it does affect my voiceover world, but it also affects pretty much every other aspect of the business world, even non-business world. So serendipitously, AI was released to the public yesterday, a year ago, yesterday. So I kind of think it's like, cool that you're here on the one-year anniversary. And we were just speaking before the show, how you happen to be right in the epicenter when it did really become public. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess we're kind of having a birthday party for it. Um, <laughs> Happy birthday, AI. <laughs> yeah. So I would say, you know, AI has been around for a long, long, long time. And specifically, large language models have been around for a long time. Sometimes it's referred to as generative AI. Um, okay. When ChatGPT dropped a year ago, that was the first time that it was really democratized. It it had a really accessible user interface and it was easy to use. And so you didn't have to be a programmer who is very skilled in, in, in writing code to, to prompt and to use these models. It had a slick new interface that anybody can use. So it just increased its accessibility so much. And that's really what set it on fire. So AI has been around. So when I'm saying AI, it's different from what we're talking about generally as chat GPT, right? Chat, yes. Chat GPT is a, is a subset of, so there's AI and then within AI, there's generative AI, which is producing language, not just consuming it. It's actually producing novel content. Right. Um, and then it's based on a large language model, um, so the large language models are basically consuming practically the entire internet and, and algorithms are operating on that body of content to essentially predict the next letter based on what is most likely to be the next letter given its training data. So it's not actually thinking or formulating real thoughts it's predicting one letter at a time or which ends up being what's the most likely next word mm -hmm. uh and so it's it's kind of just unfolding but it's really smart so it unfolds in a way that sounds like natural human language right so i actually looked up what chat because i've heard chat gpt a million times but yeah. it's generative pre-trained transformer yeah so that's what gpt stands for and gpt right. underlies a lot of AI tools. Um, so ChatGPT is kind of the interface, the way of accessing 
GPT. And GPT has evolved over time. So when ChatGPT came out, it was based on GPT 3.5. And it has since evolved, and there is now GPT 4. So if you go into ChatGPT, the free version is based on GPT 3.5. Or you can pay 20 bucks a month, I think, yes, and get the 4. Wow. I wonder how different they are. They're different. Um, four is much more powerful. It can handle a lot more data and it can produce a lot larger pieces of data. I have not pulled the trigger to update to three to four um, because 3.5 has met my needs. Um, however, I'm very tempted to give myself that for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I imagine lots and lots of people play, pay $20 a month, including, I'm sure, businesses and um, they actually are overwhelmed with demand from businesses to the point where they've had to kind of pause. No way. So open AI, right? Is that what it is the the very first chat GPT sort of platform? Open AI is the company, the that, company. that that has been building out that that platform, yes. So who this is what's so interesting about it is that it was just so quiet. It quietly kind of came onto the scene. Like uh no no big announcement, no big I don't know, up, update of the cell phone of like a, you know, um, um, anything. It was no launch like my, what Microsoft does or, or anything. I mean, I was just thinking how interesting it is that it has kind of become so important in our everyday lives. But like a year ago, no one had heard of it like a year ago yesterday. Yeah. So interestingly, um, some people had heard about it. Oh. And so in, in the tech world, People knew it was coming. So my company, for example, had beta access before it was released. We played around with it. We knew what was coming. Um, I think we were still all surprised at just how powerful it was. Um, but it, it, it's, it was not necessarily, you know, the dawning of something new. It was, it was a, a natural evolution of, of development that had happened for a long time. So it was a business tool that was promoted to certain businesses but not as much to the general public. So you knew it was coming, but the general public was kind of not part of that big. Correct. And then now it's become so much part of the general public. Yeah. Well, I was, I was saying earlier today, actually, it, to me, this is the most similar thing in our, in our history is the, when the internet came about. Uh, and I think that this has the potential to revolutionize things just like the internet did. Um, you know, the internet caught on like wildfire, there's a learning curve. People learn how to use it and then they can use it. Well, ChatGPT, there isn't even as steep of a learning curve. And so you can start to get value from it so easily and so quickly. And so they didn't really have to promote it because it was spreading by word of mouth and it, it it's, its value is so quickly obvious yes. that, you know, it, it sells itself. It's just interesting because obviously when the internet started to become so popular, there weren't as many regulations around it because we were learning, right? And it's the same right now, correct? What are you seeing that um, would need some more regulation? It's a great question. And I will say this area in particular, in particular is evolving super rapidly. Um, there are several pieces of really big legislation that are kind of on the table right now. Um, the EU has a, it's called the EU AI Act um, that has gone through, you know, a, a lot of um, deliberation and and it's it's making its way through, um, you know, becoming a reality. It it it's it's a very interesting law because it. it it puts the burden on the companies that are that are um, 
providing these tools, but it it come it takes a consumer protection standpoint. So it's going to be AI tools will be subject to things that you know you might expect from like product warning labels and things like that. So it's a c- consumer protection versus in the U.S. they're taking more of um, a, of a, a, d- a potential for discrimination angle. So they're like New York City has a law, local law one forty four. And if you use any tool that has an algorithmic process or has automated decision making, which kind of could mean anything if you, you know, if it's adding two numbers to provide a score for a test or something, um, it could be susceptible to this to this uh, law. And you're required to do a bias audit to make sure that the tool is not resulting in discriminatory outcomes for members of certain underrepresented groups. No way. Yeah. So that law has been interesting because it places a pretty heavy burden on the end user of these tools. Uh, you know, so I, my company has a platform that um, offers technical skill assessments for like software engineers. Um, so you know, we've been thinking about this, and 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 we don't currently use AI in our in our scoring or evaluation of of humans, but. Um, you know, we still do some math based yes. on how they how they answer things to pr- produce a score. And so, you know, the implication of that law is if a customer in New York or a customer is hiring citizens of New York City, they may be required to put on their website the results of this bias audit. How is how how are they able to determine what um, is going to encourage a discriminatory discriminatory outcome what is it that would what a name well so in in like there's this concept of adverse impact in in the legal field and that's basically when a a hiring ratio is different enough for one group than another group that suggests there's something fishy going on and there's just discrimination or differential impact across groups using a tool, for instance, a hiring test. Okay. And so it's just statistical ratios and you're comparing one ratio for this group to the ratio for this group. And if they differ by a certain amount, that's a flag. Got you. And it, and like the EEOC and they govern all of this, all of this area. Wow. So I'm sorry, my brain, I'm, I'm listening. I'm not as I'm really like I can be smart in some things, but like this I'm learning. So I'm sorry if I ask questions that seem simplistic. Um, no, no. And I mean, it's so interesting with, with AI, what it has done is created this spectrum of issues. And so on the one end you have folks that want to lock it down and regulate it. And, and, you know, it's a little bit more of a, of a fearful um, standpoint and many people are there. Many companies are there. Um, And then all the way to the other end of the spectrum where it, it is viewed as a tool that really unlocks human potential and, you know, in the right hands, someone who can harness its power it's an incredibly amazing tool and it, and it can increase productivity. It can, it can, um, you know, automate some of the yuckier tasks that people don't want to do and really kind of free up brain space for more complex, like human things. Right. So, um, in the voiceover world, obviously, um, commercials 
um, have copywriters, right? So oftentimes I've heard that copywriting has been taken over by, by AI. What do you, what do you think of, or chat GPT? What do you think of this? Um, I've read some and yeah. it's, it's really nuanced. It sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> it looks great. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, it, it, it is very good at, at certain things. It's good at producing copy. It's good at, it's good at, um, brainstorming, giving you kind of initial, it's almost like you have a writing assistant that does a first draft for you. And then you, as the expert come through and, you know, tweak it, make it better. I heard someone say once, it's like having a a junior assistant that doesn't know anything, but has read every book in the world. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And remembers what they read, (laughs) right? But they don't actually know how the information goes together. So they can give you facts, but but the human comes in to make it warmer. Yes. Well, and one other unique thing about AI is it, it does what they call, refer to as hallucinations. So it says things very confidently that just aren't factually incorrect. So, <laughs> oh so you, you have to know, you have to be a critical consumer um, when you're working with it. And so it, it, it can't necessarily replace human writers because they will say things that aren't true. Now, as it evolves, we can expect to see that go down some that's kind of one of the uh like the hallmarks of a of a good llm is that it doesn't hallucinate as much when you say llm large language model got you i'm gonna start using that so i can sound smart okay yeah (laughs) i was reading an article um the verve had an article that came out yesterday because it was the one year anniversary and they were saying that since its initial launch nearly a year ago chat gpt has hit 100 million weekly active users it's the it's the it it had the fastest and largest uptake of any app in the history of history wow (laughs) i i heard though that threads did surpass it oh really um initially but i can't i i I don't know if threads has kept pace right (laughs) interesting i had that for a minute and then i was like i don't like this (laughs) listen there's only so many areas for my brain to go to be out there on social media you know it's just a little much for me I will say that ChatGPT is worth adding to your list of tools that you do use, though. <laughs> that was a good plug. Well, you're using it. Obviously, you use it. Tell me how you use it. Um, I use it every day. And I would say the best way to learn how to use it is just to try doing stuff with it. It's totally a trial and error process. And you um, get better at using it with time. Um, so the... <laughs> Using ChatGPT sometimes is referred to as prompt engineering. So, you know, I'm an engineer in that I can write prompts that make the the, the tool do what I need it to do. Um, so I use it all the time to just see if it will do stuff. So, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah. So um, the fir- one of the first uh, uses, I cannot stand meal planning. It's just one area that I would be happy if I never did it again for the rest of my life. But I have two young kids. My husband and I both work full time. So it's just hard to get meals, the groceries purchased for the meals, plan the meals, make the meals. So I had it be a meal planner and I asked it to give me three recipes that had five ingredients or less and take 30 minutes or less to make. Then take the ingredients for those recipes put them on a grocery list and put other common groceries with it. And it spit me out a grocery list and three recipes. Did you make the recipes? No. Oh, 
I also don't like to cook, which is the problem. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just think it's funny because you asked it to do something so specific and like highly, um, you know, like important to you because you hate to do it, but you're like, yeah, no. But at the same if time, if it could cook the meals for yeah. me, then, then yes, I would. We're use almost it. there, right? Yeah, we We're are. almost there. Yeah. At the same time though, um, if you did not ask it in the exact right way, will it not give you those things? It will, it will give you a version, but you can basically, you can improve the quality um, in, in terms of how you write the prompt. And, you know, there are some basic guidelines that you can follow when writing a prompt. And I actually wrote these down so I would remember them. Nice. You did better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Should have written down something. Um, and, and it was funny. I told Jet, Chat GPT to give me 10 examples of prompts that included these things. <laughs> so you, you Chat GPT'd what you're going to yeah, say on about Chat GPT? Yes. Yes, of course. This moment. Um, okay. So the first thing that you're supposed that, that helps it is to give it a role, tell it who it is. Um, because that kind of conjures its training set around like what profession, profession am I in? And, and kind of generally speaking, where will the information be coming from? So you could say you are a meal planner (laughs) and then you provide context. So what, what's the nature of the task? Um, you know, you're trying to, reduce the time that you need to spend every week on meal planning. So you're looking for easy recipes. You're looking for things that can, you can make really quick. Um, and then you provided a very specific instruction. So, you know, like I told you, um, make, give me three recipes, put them on the grocery list, et cetera. Uh, and then, you, and then it's helpful to specify what format you want the outcome in. So I want a list. I want a table. I want, um, a picture. GPT four can provide pictures. Gotcha. Um, and you can say like factor, you can factor in certain parameters. So like, or you could, for instance, you could have it be a travel, a travel agent and tell it, tell me three destinations, the constraint and, and like list them out, describe them. Um, the constraint is it should cost no more than $3,000 a person to go. Um, and, and so by providing constraints, you're kind of narrowing what output it's giving. And then it's also super helpful if you provide examples. So here's an example of what I'm looking for. And then do that 10 times. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. It can, it, it, it writes amazing bedtime stories. So you can say like, write a bedtime story using your child's name and in it, like feature themes about X, Y, Z, and it should be about, um, cowboys. And it, it writes a beautiful story. Oh, my brain. My brain is trying to catch up. So I think this is wonderful because it is incredibly helpful. Like you said, I don't have to come up with a story. I can use my brain power for other things. Yeah. What other things am I going to be using my brain power for? So there are some things that it can sort of get at, but it's much better done in the hands of a human. So it can sort of solve problems, but what it can't do is the initial decomposition of the problem and kind of planning how you're going to solve the problem before you're just generating solutions. It just kind of skips straight to generating solutions. And so as humans, what we can do is still when we are evaluating a problem, we're really thinking through what, what the aspects of the problem are and 
you know, you're, you're, you're just engaging and interacting with the problem more than, than a tool like this would do. And so we're still better at decomposing problems into smaller pieces and structuring kind of how we are going to go about solving the problem. How we are, are we going to build the solution? What's the logical order and what's the logical steps that you should go through to solve the problem? And then as you're executing, you, these tools are very helpful. Um, but that initial problem decomposition, problem formation, we're still really good at that. And so the more time we have to really think about the problem, um, you know, the tools can help with the solutioning, uh, but th- they're not as great at coming to know and understand the problem itself. I know that's a little abstract. No, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, it is a little abstract, but it, but it makes sense because how would – all of this seems abstract, frankly. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking what you're talking about is using brain cells in a different way. Like I don't need to come up with a creative story. I can just have, I can just read it because that's what my kids want, right? They would yes. just want a little story before they go to bed. But if there's a really, a genuinely deep problem that I need to spend time thinking about, I don't have to worry about trying to come up with like a little story. Let me just get these kids to bed and let me now really work on and use creative yeah. Parts of my brain. Well, and you know, in that example, what I did spend time on is thinking about what elements I wanted in the story that would resonate with my child. And, you know, I know that it doesn't know those things. It doesn't know how to combine those pieces of information and those pieces of the context to make a highly personalized story for my child. I know those things. And so I can tell it that it needs to have cowboys. I can tell it that it needs to feature somebody that goes potty in the in the, mm-hmm. in the in the toilet, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because that's what he's working on, and I, I I uniquely know that, and so I can combine these elements and formulate the problem that I give it to solve. But I've thought through how to how to formulate the problem. Let's imagine that you told it you wanted that story, and then you're like, "This is a damn good story. I am now going to publish a book that has this story." How do you keep track of who is actually the author of anything? It's a good, good question and kind of one of these issues that I've just have decided that I'm not going to try to figure out the answer to, but it's complicated. Um, it is. And, you know, there's certainly, I, I would say there is much more friction in the AI generated image world because you can, these, these images are basically being constructed from every image in the world. And, you know, sometimes like a Getty Images logo <laughs> will sneak into the image. So it's like, this is absolutely, you know, not not your own property. I was just reading that um, OpenAI's best and most well-funded competitors, MidJourney, they're an image-generated mm-hmm. AI company. Pika, um, which I guess is also an, an image-generated company. So I didn't even know, actually, this is because I don't live in this world very often, so I didn't know that there was like a whole other sub- subset like that. So they potentially could be taking images that really don't belong to them and putting them all together, making a new image, but fundamentally it's not their material. That's correct. And, you know, there's a lot of outcry in creative communities because it is hard to regulate um, where the content came from and whose, whose intellectual property it is. So I think this is an area to watch. Um, I I think we'll see some evolution Um, going back to the, to the, legal side of things, uh, and not necessarily legal, but a few weeks ago, President Biden released an executive order. Um, and one of the aspects included is that he's kind of 
requiring these companies like OpenAI to figure out how are you watermarking content um, that's generated by AI so that at least if, you know, you hand me a paper, I can see you use generative AI so I can, as a consumer, know, like, maybe these are your ideas, but they might not be. <laughs> or imagine Getty um, making it somewhat impossible for anything to be culled from the internet that way. Yeah. You know, and there, and that is happening too, is it companies are making it harder to access their content or, and they're embedding like watermarking. And so that it, it, it would flag in, in these types of watermarking systems. So that's happening too. Like the creative, it, it, creative industries are reacting and are looking to protect their interests and are taking steps to do that. Doesn't it feel like they need to be doing it 24 seven because this is moving so fast? Yes. Yes. I, I it's, it's, you know, a horse race at this point. So crazy. Yeah. It's changing everything. So uh, it's again, going back to the dawn of the internet, like this is just as big. So this is the next big paradigm shift and, it's kind of changing the whole world of computing. Um, I was reading in the, the Verve um, article about how they said that this past year, it's just grown exponentially, but this next year it will grow even faster, like just trying to keep up with it because it's almost like feeding on itself somewhat. Yes, it is. It, it Well, sort of technically, but generally speaking, yes. Figuratively speaking, yes, it, it's feeding on itself, but there's also a lot of competition in the industry. And so, it's this race to have the best large language model. So, you know, you have big players here. You have Microsoft, you have Google, you have OpenAI, Apple. AI, mm-hmm. Apple. So, you know, it's it's who can have the fastest, most accurate, fewest hallucinations, most powerful, multi multimodal, you know, images, text, audio. Like, that's it. we're going in, in places that are probably going to be things we've never seen. Hmm, this is very powerful, right? So where do you see this power being used for good? And where do you see it being used for an evil? <laughs> I don't know if evil is the right word. <laughs> Darkness, the, yeah. the dark, because there's always dark with anything light. I mean, immediately when the internet happened, porn happened like the next, that was the next WWW, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the potential for good is limitless. And I, you know, I think, like I said before, it, it really will unlock human potential in a lot of ways. It'll enable us to innovate faster. It'll enable us to make people's jobs more enriching and, and fun and engaging because it's going to automate some, some of the yuckier tasks, like I said. Um, and I think, you know, it, it will ultimately help humanity, uh, in, in ways that, you know, are, are quite, quite notable, um, making our lives easier, uh, helping us think, helping us structure our thinking, helping us um, work through problems, that kind of thing. Uh, there's also certainly potential for, for wrongdoing. Um, I think one of the best examples is, is deep fakes. Um, you know, that's kind of an alarming technology and it can be used for very bad things. Um, the probably the best use of it that I, or the most salient use of it right now that I, that I'm thinking through is, you know, again, we're, we, ha- we have a hiring platform and part, one of our products is a, is a video interviewing tool where you're assessing someone's ability to code along with you and work through a problem. 
And, you know, there's all these proctoring softwares out there that watch the person, make sure that they're doing what they say they're doing. And, and even that you, the, the job candidate are actually the one there in the, in the chair, but with a deep fake, there is no way to detect that in a video interview. If you're talking to the person or not, because you are from every indicator. So that's scary to me. So in real time, it could be as if, if I were doing a Zoom interview with you, someone could deep fake my image and yes. voice. Yes. Anyone could say something that I would even not say. Yes. And so the implications there are, are you know, scary. You could have a world leader saying things that would incite a war. Um do you think that that will encourage more of a um, premium on in-person activities? It could. Speeches? It could. It, it very well could. I think right now the initial thing that it's triggering is enhanced privacy and, um, you know, your like restrictions on using people's likenesses. And so I think we'll first see legislative backlash. Um, and then, you know, we'll go from there. But I think – the legal world is trying as hard as it can to catch up right now. Do you see it being used in medicine? I'm thinking like the positive. Things. It is being used in medicine. How is it being used in medicine? Well, it, it's being used to help with diagnoses. So, you know, imagine you're feeding it a list of symptoms, some descriptions of patients um, and using it to, you know, go through a medical book essentially and, and offer up what it, you know, what are the most likely underlying ailments. But then as a doctor, you are knowledgeable and you can qualify or disqualify any of the things that it's saying. So I think it's you being used as a, as a reference. Um, what's really exciting is that it can put information uh, together in new and different ways. So it also has the potential theoretically um to come up with cures to things because it's it's creating patterns and, and relationships and connections in ways that we might not have as humans. And so we might see it driving medical breakthroughs. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Could I tell it, you're a doctor and these are my symptoms. That's the kind of prompt I could give it? Yes. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's basically taking WebMD to the next level. Convincing us we all have Ebola. <laughs> Every time I go on WebMD, the bottom line is like, I'm not going to be here much longer. Like, yeah. it freaks me out, you know, yeah. because it's always something significant. Yes. I'm I'm sorry. I really feel like I'm not sounding intelligent at all because I am great. really struggling to keep up with what you're describing to me. It's a lot. Uh, and, you know, I think about this stuff almost all day, every day right now in my role. Um, so one thing that... Uh, didn't really get into was, you know, how, how did I get into this? And like, what is my relationship to AI? Well, I'm not an AI scientist and I don't build AI systems. I am an IO psychologist and I study how trends like this affect the skills that our workers need and how it's going to affect their well-being, their experience, their relationship with their customer, their, their uh, performance, their productivity. Uh, so I've spent some time studying, like, how does this change workers experience what skills they need, what skill, how to identify those skills, how to, how to assess them, how to develop them. Um, and so I've, 
that's more of the angle where I'm coming from here is basically how can we help prepare and optimize humans to collaborate with AI? What are some of the things that you're finding as a trend that is affecting someone's well-being as they're learning and using these models? I don't, I don't know as much on, on well-being, but there is one skill that is really showing up time and time again as something that is going to be worth investing in. And that's uh, called computational thinking. And this is, this is an example, maybe one of few where K through 12 really beat us to this. So in, in most K through 12 curricula, there is a treatment of computational thinking and they're working on building computational thinking in students. What it is, is essentially kind of what we talked about before your, your ability to decompose and structure problems in a way that could be solved by a computer or another human. Um, I often liken it somewhat to expository writing or even how you would tell a toddler to do something. So if I have a problem, the first step is that I need to think through it and I need to think about how my toddler is going to process the information and process the problem. And then I need to feed him the problem and instructions in a way that his brain can process so that it can, it can get done. Like I would not explain how to do something to him the same way I would explain how to do something to someone else. So it's very similar. I'm going to explain and give instructions to these tools, knowing how they work and, and what will help them perform best to give you the result. You yeah. Want. And so people that are better at that problem decomposition and problem formation and feeding, feeding the, the AI tools, the right prompts and the right problems in the right way, they will excel. Uh, and so this is a skill that can be developed. It can be tested for, um, it's already being developed in our kids probably today <laughs> in, in most schools, but it, you know, when you, when you read about it, it's being, it's on the same level as literacy, uh, math, math, reading, it's a writing. Language. It's a language then. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're taking the human element out of a lot of this, right? The human, what, how does taking hum, humans out of the, even um, the results, I guess. How does that affect, I don't know, this is a big question, humanity. Like we're talking computers thinking, kind of, generating mostly. Predict, predicting the next letter. Predicting the next letter for so many aspects of, um, I mean, I don't even know, limitless aspects of our um, lives. Where does the human um, aspect become um, not affected, but maybe valued. How, how, how does it affect a human's value? This is a, it's a great question. And it's one that I've talked about with colleagues and it, it's also one that comes up a lot when, when you go to conferences and that are talking about these types of topics. It, I, I think the answer is we don't know. Um, uh, and maybe what we think today may or may not be the same moving forward. Um, Truth. Uh, I think that there is still something uniquely human about our ability to empathize. And so kind of that emotional intelligence side of things, social perceptiveness, there are some things that humans will retain value <laughs> for having, having these abilities. Uh, but again, that's today. I, 
it it certainly it's could develop as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, in terms of the voiceover world, um, having a voice um, automated this way, right? So anyone could go into voices.com and if there's someone's voice that has been um, replicated, they can put their own copy in. And there are restrictions around it. For example, if I would never do an ad for a, a gun or a political ad or something, then there are words that I can put in there that will automatically knock out any anybody's ability to put copy. Um, but there's just something missing when you listen. I mean, I listen. It's fine, I think, for a medical journal or certain applications that way. But in terms of of um, taking a breath when you're speaking, you know, having a catch in your voice. Yeah. The imperfections are, are what make it perfect, right? Exactly. Which is so interesting because it's, um, it's fast. It's growing so fast that it's, I, my brain is like, um, wanting, okay. What I want is for someone to use my voice where I don't really have to do a whole lot of work. Right. So it'd be great. Like you get to pay me for my likeness, so to speak in the middle of the night, you know, (laughs) next thing I know I've got to check. There's something great about that. But then there's also an aspect of it where, that may not really reflect what I would have normally said or how I would have really sounded if I had done it on my own. But also, like I said, this there's a human aspect of it that feels I don't, like you can tell when it's missing. Yeah. Well, and also if you read enough output from these tools, you can start to detect kind of patterns. Oh. Um, and it, like it just structures responses in a s- certain way. And um, like, I have a I have a joke with my team. I don't care if they use ChatGPT to do their work. Great, do it. Um, but I I can usually tell if they've used it to write something. Um, and again, I don't care. I'm all for that. But I, I want to at least know that they they know everything that they that they supposedly wrote about. Um, and you know, one of our games in our team is to try to find paragraphs that it wrote <laughs> in our in like our white papers and stuff like that. So, are you able to find them pretty well though? I mean we as humans are getting better at masking its use and, 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 you know, as we get smarter and, and we get to be better prompt engineers, we will be able to coach it into our style. We can train it how we would like to sound more casual or more yeah. formal. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can have it replying with a certain tone or, um, you know, emphasizing certain points or give it like a, a frame of mind, um, I use it for this a lot for at work. Um, if I want to, for example, understand how a particular buyer persona would react to something, I train it to take that persona. Uh, and you know, that might be what are, you know, say you're a, a chief technology officer that's considering buying a hiring assessment <laughs> platform for your engineers. Um, what are your biggest pain points in, in your role? What are you most concerned about? What are your, um, what criteria do you use to make business decisions? Um, what would you be looking for in a tool like this? So I have it, you know, think through its persona and it's very good at this. It's very good at, at, at developing personas. Um, and then you can ask it questions now that you have your persona, you can say, okay, given all of this, like what's the best way to sell to you? And it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. And you can also have it, my favorite use for it is just to write emails. And especially if they're like a hard email that you, you know, you don't really want to write. Like I had, I had to email my neighbors about having some trees removed because they were 
you know, at risk of falling on my house. And like, I could have wordsmith that all day. Um, so I just had chat GPT write it and it came up with some points that I'd, I wasn't even thinking of. And so I'm like, great. I don't have to spend my afternoon like trying not to alienate my neighbors. Is it easier to send because it actually isn't you? Do you know what I mean by yeah. that? Um, maybe it, sa- it, it sounded a lot better than I would have sounded for that particular. <laughs> no, like I appreciate that. But then there's also like some way I'm imagining that conversation. And for me to be willing to have someone else write it gives me a step. There's a step between me and the email that I can yeah. sort of feel like, well, I mean, I'm, I don't even know exactly what it said. I'm sure it sounded good. You know, like there's like, no, yeah. I'm not responsible for the results of whatever it is you feel because I did not write this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're on to something there. That certainly is. I mean, I, I sent it, so I well, certainly felt confident. <laughs> I would have too, though. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm looking for ways out. Clearly, that's what I just told you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, be responsible for anything. Welcome. Welcome to my life. And, you know, <laughs> all jokes aside, I, I work for a company that encourages us to use these productivity tools and encourages us to be creative and how we use it, where we use it, when we use it. Try using it for everything. Some things it will work well for, some things it won't. We share prompts with each other like, hey, have you tried this prompt before? So there's a whole community around like how can we better use these tools? Now, that's not the reality in every company. And there is a lot of resistance still. And, you know, there's resistance within individual people, but there's also resistance in, in at the company level, like we're not going to let our employees use these tools. And there's good reason for that. Um, you have to know, you know, what kind of information you should and shouldn't put in. Like you should never put in your PII. You should never put in, um, secret business information or sensitive data or anything, because all of that technically can go into its training set and be used in the next training, the next model. So just like, you wouldn't, you know, give it your social security number or you know, things that you don't want out of your possession and out of your hands should not be put in there. We were talking about school and the education system um, and how they're a little ahead of us um, in this way. Us, I say us, the world. Yes. Um, all right. So I'm imagining that I am a high school student who did not want to read Catcher in the Rye or whatever book and didn't want to write a paper about it. So I had AI write it. What's the downside of my not having read this book and just been able to get the grade and just move on? Like where, like all of our curriculum, it's strategic in the way that they're asking us or asking students to read and learn for critical thinking purposes, I imagine. Yeah. But if you can bypass that, is there going to be a backlash somewhere or downside or blowback when you are not um, using those critical thinking skills in the way that a traditional student would have? So this is a hotly debated question. Um, you know, given everything is kind of born in the education system, I joined a Facebook group that is uh, for teachers, uh, ChatGPT for teachers. I just wanted to see how they're talking about it and like how are they using it in the classroom and what's the general like temperature. <laughs> and so I've been in that group for about six months. And even in that six months, I have seen a general warming to the technology. So I think they're not asking the question of what if students use this? They're assuming students are using it and they're encouraging students to use it. And so they're moving away from how do we stop it to how can we constrain our assignments? How can we help them become 
better prompt engineers and more critical consumers of information so that they can detect a hallucination. So I think that's kind of the direction that we're going to be going. Um, at the same time, you know, my, my sister-in-law teaches English and she and I have debates on whether, you know, it should be allowed to be used to write essays about books or, you know, express ourselves. Um, and, you know, we have never convinced each other of, of the other way. Like, I don't think it's cheating to use it. And um, it, it, it's an issue, like, and I have these debates with colleagues now. If, if an engineer uses it to complete a coding test, is that cheating or is that like using a calculator? <laughs> and I heard uh, I was at a conference once talking about AI and um, – there was a guy in the audience that was a principal and you know, this was back in early spring of this year when people were still kind of freaking out about chat GPT. And this gentleman stood up and said, guys, like math teachers didn't lose their jobs when the calculator was made. They learned how to teach with the calculator. And just like that, teachers aren't going to lose their jobs. People aren't going to, we will adapt and, and we'll find a way to add human value with this tool. That's fascinating to me. Also, monetarily, how this affects someone's job description, I imagine. So if you're a copywriter, do you get paid as much if you are using your own brain or if you're using ChatGPT to help you with copywriting? I don't, I'm wondering how that affects salaries. Well, I'll tell you who is making high salaries are people that are using AI to build things or people who are building AI systems. Uh, the number of job postings for those types of roles has absolutely skyrocketed. And so there's a, a high demand for those skills. Uh, if anyone's considering a career change, um, I guess, I guess that all boils down to, is it detectable or do you feel, you know, that you need to disclose that you used it? Um, Maybe we'll start to see clauses like that in in consulting or in contracts where it's you have to disclose if you used it um, and how. Um, I, I would guess that that probably will happen. Um, now, does that mean you should get paid less? Maybe, I, I, but I don't think so. You're still using the available tools just as you would go Google some things maybe to help you write something. This is kind of a supercharged Google. Hmm. What do you see as, do you see an ultimate downside? It's hard to say because we don't, this is not the end of this. And I think that there's promise and peril right now. And we don't know. Um, I think, you know, it depends on your perspective. Like if this matches humans in three years, five years, 10 years, is that a downside? Um, maybe in some ways, maybe not in some ways. Um, I think that for me and in my world, using it to commit fraud, um, I think is possibly going to be one of the biggest downsides um, but at the same time, it's almost making us need to examine how we're defining fraud. Interesting. So is using it to write something, is that fraudulent or is it using a tool to help you with something 
or is it is you know, I don't know this you could go down this path pull this thread but the bottom line though is that it's not going anywhere and there is a, like you were saying there's a warming that you've noticed in teachers because it isn't you can resist as much as you want right but if it's going to be here and it is here to stay then it who's everyone for um um having an attitude of using this for something good, obviously, but also being aware of the way it can be used because that's the biggest thing. Like you were saying with fraud, when someone I've heard these, these calls that'll happen to people where it's their, their mom's voice, you know, saying I've been kidnapped. You need to send a million dollars. Those are the kinds of things you're talking about regarding fraud, right? Yeah. And, and you know, this gets into morality and, and what makes something ethical and unethical. A lot of that and many definitions of like ethics comes down to intent and motive. Um, me using it to write something for work. I don't have like, uh, you know, malicious motives there. I'm just trying to make my life easier and get to an end point faster than I would have been able to get on my own. Um, now if I'm using it to do, do, ill or have ill will and befall harm on someone. Well, that's a little bit of a different story. So maybe we view it as a weapon and in in the right hands, it's safe. If in the wrong hands, it's not, but it's in the hands of everyone right now. Right? Yes. Well, not everyone has adopted it. Not everyone has opened it. I did a quick poll of about 20, 25 friends and most are not using it regularly. Some have never used it at all. Um, And, you know, going back to this being like the internet, you're exactly right. It's not going anywhere. Um, So my recommendation to these people is just try using it for something like log in, create an account, just play with it, see what it can do. And, and just kind of have your experience unfold with it a little bit. If you use it and you don't find it helpful, like don't write it off, try it for something else. Uh, eventually, you know, you'll, you'll stumble upon a use that's really helpful. And actually that I think is how I ended up here is we have a mutual friend and I was helping her think through how she might tweak her resume, uh, and cover letter for certain roles. And I was like, well, duh, feed the job description to chat GPT and, and then feed it your resume and then tell it to adjust your resume to better align with the job description. And she was like, well, it can do that. I'm like, well, I don't know, try it. And we did. And we sat there and and did it together and, and it it did a great job of that. And there's a lot of people writing about how it can help with job search. And, um, you know, that's a lot of people are experiencing, um, unemployment right now and are kind of getting, you know, a little bit of fatigue being in the market, applying to so many roles, and it can really help take away some of that anguish. So if someone is listening now who doesn't know very much about ChatGPT, where would you recommend they start? So I would go Google OpenAI ChatGPT. Either way, ChatGPT will work. There's also an app in the App Store, ChatGPT. You can download it. You can log in with Google or other ways. Uh, set up an account. Just start playing with it. Uh, ask it some questions. I remember one of the earliest questions I asked it because, you know, last time this year we're approaching Christmas. What should I get my four-year-old for Christmas? Mm-hmm. 
and you know it asked me some questions like what what do they like and i was like yeah music uh, and they're like okay these types of instruments are appropriate for a four-year-old and it was really good and i'm like wait wow this is great drums um, <laughs> is that great though well that's <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> we do have drums and their drums uh, are amazing I'm, yeah. I'm a drummer fan yeah well that's so interesting because I, I, well, the way you approach it is just like to have fun yeah just play yeah and you don't have to do it for like high stakes things like have low expectations have you know go go in with a curiosity so in like the meal planning one, I just was thinking like, what are the tasks I hate the most? And I, like, if I really wanted to have like the highest impact on my like mental health, what's the worst thing? And so it's meal for me, it's meal planning and, and cooking. Um, but so I'm, I'm going to start there. Um, and then it's every day as I run into a problem, like if I find myself thinking or like struggling through a problem for more than five minutes now, I'm like, okay, duh, I'm going to go ask ChatGPT. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I am thinking throughout how I'm going to present it and what I'm going to have it do to, to best help me. Um, but I, I don't struggle too long without giving it a, a shot. I'm thinking about how I use um, YouTube University to help me with lots of things, like a, a something that's broken. Yep, And I'll try to fix it myself as opposed to hiring someone to do yeah. it, which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. But I'm imagining I could use this in the same way. Yeah. Like say you have a problem with your computer. You could say, you know, you're an IT specialist and you need to help a customer troubleshoot an issue. Here are the things that are going on. Provide a list of steps that the user would need to take to troubleshoot the issue. Done. One second later, you have some instructions. Just the, the the speed of everything too. I know it, and it's getting faster and faster. <laughs> it it well, caveat. Every now and then, the OpenAI website goes down or is just unavailable, and I can't tell you. I get this like this need this need to use it, and I'm like, oh, wow, how am I going to work today with with this? And then I remember like, hey, it wasn't so long ago when you didn't have this, and you had to like actually use your brain for these things, but. Um, but that's kind of, I mean, that in itself is kind of remarkable that, you know, it creates like a, 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 a delay in my productivity when it's not available. So recently I upgraded my phone because my other phone was dying and it wouldn't stay on. It would be on for a second and then would shut down. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to log into work and my, my, um, VPN wasn't able to, the new phone hadn't been switched over and the, the stress level that I was under, it took about an hour for me to get everything up to speed from old phone to new phone because I kept having to restart. But it really highlighted to me how even just logging into work and having passwords for any of my anything was on my phone. And that the minute my phone wasn't working right, I actually was like, what do I need to do? I need to fix this today, this minute. And panicked, kind of panicked. Yeah. I will say I'm not to the point of panicking without it, but I am to the point where I will restructure my day and like find something else to do because I know I want to use it so badly for whatever the other task was. So I, you know, I will put things off until it's available and pick up something else that I don't need it for instead. My goodness. I have to say I have not used it other than to just play around. I did ask it once. What's the, 
<laughs> what's the best way to become a successful voiceover artist? <laughs> Since that's what was I do. Was it helpful? It was. But what's nice is that I actually was doing those things. Like, yeah. you know, school has taught, just in the industry, there are certain things that are pretty standard for people to become successful. And so I was really happy to see, well, there's no out of the box, something that I never would have thought of. I'm like, well, I'm doing everything I can then. So that's good to know. It was reassuring. Yeah. Oh, nothing. Nothing is greater when you ask it some things and it tells you some stuff that you already know. <laughs> I use it a lot to um, write like job aids, uh, things that would have taken me forever because I just couldn't get the words right. Or, you know, I was wordsmithing them to death um, because I can read it and know whether it's right or not. But if, for instance, I want to, I don't know, um, train someone how to conduct a job interview, like I could write instructions or I could have it write instructions and then I make sure that they're right. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I always think like, wow, I have really, um, I, I really have an appetite for this and I've really embraced it. And like, I think it's so cool, but there is always that burning. Like, is this, is this right? Like, are there risks here that I just don't know about? And I mean, I'm sure there are. Um, I have chosen to take a really optimistic stance on this technology and really embrace it and be open to it um, because, you know, I know that our future is it's not going away and it's not getting less. It's getting more. Um, but there is that kind of nagging like little, you know devil on my shoulder that's like are you doing the right thing well i think the same thing about social media because you know obviously there's a whole generation of people who have grown up with it but i didn't yeah. and so is there a downside to growing up with social media constantly and and being in touch with people constantly when i was younger you know you were home when you were home you either had a phone call or you were home you know it wasn't like you were constantly yeah being bombarded with images and thoughts and and words from other people and energy from other people. And there's something kind of peaceful about having a down downtime that I chose, I guess. Yeah. You know? And we knew our neighbors and we, we had, right. a, we had a community that was actual f physical and, and closer proximity. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons we're kind of seeing the death of the, of the concept of a neighborhood mm -hmm. because people are finding neighbors online. Mm -hmm. And I also think that has a lot to do with some of the political polarization we're thinking we're seeing because it used to be that you had to get along with your neighbors, you know, you, you figure it out, you find some middle ground, but now because you help each other. Yeah. You help each other. But also like if you know, you and your neighbor are, have vehemently different political views, you have to figure out a way to be civil and talk about it. Whereas now you can make your own neighbors and they can all have the exact same beliefs as you and you are in an echo chamber and you're never confronted with the need to be civil with people that have really different beliefs from you. So that's another story for another day. Yeah, it is. It's, but, but important yeah, and interesting because it, like you said, it's moving so fast and we don't know the impacts of a thousand different things. I don't know the impact of any of the things that I'm like, even fearless formula. So happy to do this, but hope it lands where it's supposed to, but I don't yeah. know the impact long-term of anything like that. Yeah. My brain does not work that way. Well, I feel like that's a hard way for a brain to work and that's a, a, a big burden. So, you know, I just try to use my best judgment with, with these kind of things, but I'm sure we're all making mistakes and we're all doing some things right. And, you know, 
that whole quote about like sometimes it's, it's not the destination it's the journey and, like, <laughs> none of us know the destination sure. and it's probably really scary and really exciting who knows but you know we just have I, you uh, have you ever asked chat gpt what the downside is to chat gpt yes well i actually i was doing some prep work for for this and I was asking it about like, what are your limitations? And yes, I do speak to it like a person. I'll, I'll tell it. Thank you. And please, um, this is kind of like for folks that use it. It's like, if I like share my prompts or my output with someone and they can see, they're like, Oh, I always say please to chat. You too. I'm glad to see that other people do that. Um, Anyway, so I don't even remember what the question We were talking was. about, like, do you ever ask chat GPT, oh. like, wh- where, where is yeah. the downside of having you in my life or I, I do. Well, also, like, you know, in the assessment industry, the first thing you're worried about is people cheating with it. And I've now had this, like, existential question, like, is it ever cheating if you use it? Like, I don't know. I mean if this is always going to be around and if somebody's going to be able to use this on the job is using it for this test cheating. It, it, I, 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 my head goes to these places and I, I've kind of like drawn a semi artificial line. Like if they're using it to completely misrepresent their skills and abilities and, and like there is no shred of truth then yes. But at the same time, then we probably need to build better tests that are less susceptible to, uh, a, a non-proficient person being able to fake proficiency. Like maybe we just need to try harder and, and make things less fakeable. I agree with that. I'm thinking how much I use Google for everything. Like I can't think of this author. I, you know, they wrote this book that was about this or that. Let me look it up. So is it, does it mean that I don't have that knowledge in my head? You know, does it mean that I'm not smart? It just means I can't remember at this moment or what was the name of that character or, you know, I get curious about a thousand things. My brain doesn't stop. So I look up things all the time. But For, this goes to what we were saying, though. Yeah. What you're cheating? good at mm-hmm. is knowing what questions to ask. And for knowing that there is an answer and how to instruct something to get it. So when you're asking Google a question, it's not like you're just showing up and staring at Google and waiting for an answer to you know yes. magically appear. You are still using your brain and your knowledge to know that it, an answer is there and there's a solution. Right. You just need to get to it. And it's not cheating. It's not ref- a f- reflection of my intelligence it, yeah. or whichever way you want to phrase that. Yeah. Um, I always say like... It's a tool. Yeah, it's a tool. And, you know, there's some things that for every, every job, there's going to be some neat things that you need to know and not have to go to Google for. Like if you were at a networking event and, you know, had to be like, oh, hold, uh, yeah, let me answer that question. Hold, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and, you know, you pulled out your phone to a- answer like a really basic question about voiceovers or something like that. Like, not good. But for the most part, we're not in a lot of those settings where your knowledge needs to be just like right there. I mean, some jobs are like, I certainly would want like a foreign diplomat to have a general knowledge of the world and geopolitical things <laughs> and not have to pull out their phone to answer a question about, you know, some major political thing. So, uh, and my husband's a, a lobbyist, so we talk about this a lot. He, he just retains information. Like it's crazy. And, but I get it. He needs that. He needs to be able to on the spot, you know, roll something off in, in a, in a face to face setting. Um, and so we found that ChatGPT is not going to help in situations where you're in a meeting and you need to refer to something or you need to 
um, create on the spot. Um, but you're right. Maybe that will make more face-to-face interactions though. I feel like the trend's kind of in the opposite with remote and distributed work. Exactly. I was thinking the same thing. Like we used to be in offices all the time and now we're not more and more. So how, how much will we even know? Well, I was thinking a political speech, right? You can't fake having seen it yourself, right? Someone speaking, you, that's not going to be a deep fake. They probably use chat if you did write the speech though. <laughs> right. Right. But they really said it. It's mm-hmm. not someone pre- presenting me saying something I would never have said. Right. So that will be considered um, I don't, the the truth, I guess, a true experience, a true true words. I was there, this group. Yeah, of like original did. content. Orange, original content mm-hmm. that you can verify. Mm-hmm. Maybe, unless <laughs> deep fakes get really good. But I think, too, that'll be, you know, maybe there's going to be some space for, like, third-party verification companies that you know their one job is to detect fake from real or to like watermark or certify that things are are real this is the last question i have for you because i know we've gone over a little bit but i really appreciate you spending this time with me because again i'm trying to catch up and i'm not very articulate this way so i'm like i struggle you know and i appreciate you being so patient with me as i ask you a bunch of questions no like i said i talk about this stuff all day and you know i again i'm not an expert in the technology itself but you sound like you i really have thank you thank you it matters chat is actually saying all of this right now Um, (laughs) yeah really i will never tell this is a deep fake (laughs) i'll never tell (laughs) so um, my question for you is in terms of relationships how does chat gpt affect loneliness i don't well one quick funny story and then maybe i'll try to answer for real um one of the first things that um my husband used it for was to write me an email inviting me to go on a date um but it was like this absurd he he gave it instructions to frame it in like an absurd way and so it was like madame <laughs> i request the honor of your presence on our back porch tonight to watch an episode of the first 48 it was like this really like crazy just asked me to go watch tv downstairs um so that was funny um so i think that was a a plus a plus in our relationship was that he used it in a creative way to make me laugh um (laughs) so a good side like a but a human side too because he used it to make you laugh and like you obviously knew it wasn't real or whatever so that's cool yeah. Um, I think like, in some ways it could help with addressing loneliness. I mean, it makes me think of that movie, um, Her, where, yes. you know, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that this will take some humanistic traits and make them accessible to people. So, you know, it may f- make them feel like they are less lonely. But at the end of the day, it's... A large language model. It's not a human. Um, maybe having so much access to information at your fingertips might help with connectedness. Um, just, you know, being able to learn something quickly or get certain kinds of information quickly may help people feel less isolated if they, you know, if they don't know something, they can find out. And so maybe just having access to information could help with that. But yeah, I mean, you know, that emotional intelligence, social connection, empathy, actual communication, nonverbals, 
that's obviously not going to be there today. Maybe it will be in the future. We just don't know. We don't. We're living it as we speak. Yes. It's, I mean, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be alive. <laughs> it's, it's been really fun to watch this roll out. Um, so obviously my eyes every day are, are focused on the software engineering industry. Um, and it's kind of hitting it in waves. Um, but it's changing everything. So uh, it's just some companies are changing faster than others. So, Dr. Taylor Sullivan, <laughs> how could someone get in touch with you if they would like to know more about what we talked about or anything that you're doing in your business world? Yeah. Um, well, you can email me at taylor.sullivan at codility, C-O-D-I-L-I-T-Y dot com. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, it's my so pleasure. So much. This has been very, very interesting for me. And I was actually going to see if maybe in six months, if you would be willing to come back and we can speak about this again and just see what has changed. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'll send my deep fake next time. <laughs> I'll send mine. Perfect. We can go get a, we can go get a glass of wine instead. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny and kind of sad, but true. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows I, what we'll be or doing? Or that's the most exciting thing ever. Like I would love to imagine a day when I can just sit on my couch and like just chill and my house is doing everything for me. Mm -hmm. My job is covered. My kids are somehow cared for and entertained. Cancer has been cured. Yeah. there. Like yeah. That. Yeah. That maybe that's where we're going. I like to tell myself that. I believe that too. And I like that you talk about a positive spin here because in my mind, it's all, it's like this world that seems scary. Not, yeah. I don't know if scary is the right word. Um, unfamiliar, I don't even know what this is going to do. I always think dark, like, oh, yeah. no. But um, you're talking about something as being really positive and helpful and encouraging you to make different connections in different ways, whether it's um, in your business or interpersonally with your children. I love the idea of that, where you're using it for something good, superpower yeah. for good. Yeah. Well, I mean, psychology tells us that unfamiliar things are scary, usually. Uh, and the best way to deal with that is to confront it and become familiar. So that, you know, my advice stands, download it, just try it. See what happens. Yeah. Make some dinner with five ingredients. Yeah. I probably should actually make something. <laughs> I'm going to try that actually. I'll, yeah. I'm going to, I'll, I'll text you and let okay. you know how it goes. Yeah. Great. No, that's one of my favorite things. Anytime I like teach someone how to use it, I always am like, send me your output. Yeah. <laughs> God. I'm such a dork. <laughs> no, you're amazing. And I really appreciate the insight. I never would have been able to understand everything that you spoke to me about by just reading it or even having ChatGPT tell me. So thank you for your presence today in the studio and helping me to understand what this new frontier. Yeah, my pleasure. And come back. Yeah, I'll come back. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Fearless Formula on Business Radio X. And this is um, Sharon Klein again reminding you that with knowledge and understanding, we can all have our own fearless formula. Have a great day.